Okay, what's going on everybody? Jason Modar here. Thank you so much for swinging by and checking out today's episode on my podcast and YouTube channel. So what I wanted to discuss today was this attention-grabbing headline, this op-ed from the post-millennial. Critical race theory and remote learning are making American students stupid. You know, I really wish the post-millennial would be just a tad bit more transparent with how they really feel about things that they would just beat around the bush less with their opinions and their thoughts regarding matters. So I'm sure that you can imagine that a headline like this grabbed my attention and I read through the op-ed and had a lot to say. I'm not going to comment on every jot and tittle from this article, but there are several things here worth discussing. And if you would like to read it in its entirety, I would highly encourage you to do so. I'll put a link in the description box on both the podcasting platforms and the video sharing platform so that you can check it out and read it for yourself. So with that being in, why don't we go ahead and dive right into the content and I'll have it up here on the screen for those of you who are following along on video. So first paragraph reads as following. Atrocious trends in education can only lead us to the conclusion that American schools are trying to make stupid students. Critical race theory is bad enough but when paired with remote learning, both become exponentially efficient in assisting each other in lowering standards for American students. This will create a bunch of adults that believe external circumstances are at fault for their own failures and that they bear no responsibility for their own achievement. And spot on and a great start in this article because critical race theory absolutely teaches people, well, non-whites in particular, to pass the buck that instead of accepting responsibility for your own behaviors and your own actions and believing that to some extent, to a large extent, especially in this country and to a large extent in the West in general, that there is so much opportunity for achievement, that so much of the outcomes that people want and desire really is up to them and up to their and desire and their ability and their willingness to put in the work to achieve something. But this ideology, critical theory, and specifically critical race theory, makes you a victim of circumstances and your oppressors. So instead of bearing the responsibility for their own achievement and going out and attempting to achieve something and overcome whatever real or imagined obstacles may be in their way, they blame their oppressors. So whatever the oppressor group is, and right now in the United States of America and in the West in general, it is the straight white male. And especially if he is religious, and in particular if he is a Christian, that is your oppressor. You are a victim of those circumstances. You are a victim of being born in the United States under a system of white supremacy that perpetuates and permeates all institutions in this country. That is why non-whites, minorities, blacks, all of them are unable to achieve. At least that's what critical race theory teaches you to believe. You don't harness your own ability, your own God-given talents and functions to be able to go out there and do something. Instead, you just see yourself as a perpetual victim. So instead of teaching you to work hard and experience the joy of achievement, critical race theory teaches you instead to embrace victimhood to blame others and to look to the government and to political activism for a savior. So speaking of the joy of achievement, I was working the other day on a proof in logic. I, one of the things that I do at the school I teach at is I teach logic. And I was working on this proof that I had never come across before and had never attempted to solve before. 
excuse me, solved before. So I was working on it on the board. I had given my logic students an assignment to work on. And in between helping them with the assignment, I was working on this proof that I had never done before. I saw it in the back of the book on some harder to work on problems in the teacher's edition. I looked at the proof. I didn't look at the answers so I could see if I could solve it on my own. And it was a fairly difficult proof. And it took me a while to figure out what I needed to do, probably about between helping out the students, about 30 minutes to nail it down. But once I did, as odd and silly as it may sound, it I felt so accomplished to have started something. And if you don't know proofs in logic, just understand that there's something that can be, they are something that can be rather difficult uh, to solve, but in, incredibly rewarding. Imagine you know, when you figure out higher levels of mathematics, once you figure out how to properly apply and use the quadratic formula and how to do algebra, and when you start learning how to use sine, cosine, and tangent in higher levels of math, it's so, sort of similar to that. There's hard work that goes into it, but it can be incredibly rewarding. It teaches you to think abstractly and all those kinds of things. And it gave me a lot of satisfaction, the joy of achievement. And that's just a little tiny, itty bitty taste of what that is. But when you turn somebody into a victim, you rip that away from them. You rob them of the joy of achieving something, of working, something that God created us to do. Work is a good thing. God didn't give us work as a punishment for sin. Work was something that was already there before sin had entered the world. And critical race theory, again, it teaches you to embrace that victimhood, to hold on to it, to allow it to become your identity. You blame others. Instead of looking at yourself Instead of assessing yourself, instead of looking in the mirror and looking at the guy in the mirror and saying, okay, what problems do you have? What are you bringing to the table or not bringing to the table? Instead, what it teaches you to do is look to the government and political activism to be your savior. Those, by the way, are terrible saviors. The government can play a role and political activism can play a role in bringing about change and bringing about actual justice. But if that's where you go for your savior, if you are a dependent of government and political activism, you will be a dependent of them your entire life, and you will never experience the joy of being independent of the state and independent of others. And there's room for community, and there's certainly room for leaning on people, but if you have this victimhood mentality, constantly looking to the state and looking to others to do all of the heavy lifting for you, then you're missing out on so much of what it means to be human. And this is absolutely what is being taught increasingly, not just in universities, but in public schools as well, K through 12, to our students. If that isn't a factor to motivate getting your children out of these wretched institutions, including private schools and even private Christian schools where this nonsense is starting to permeate and ooze in, if that doesn't motivate you to get them out of these toxic, toxic schools homeschool them for yourself, or find schools that stand up against this garbage, I don't know what will. Perhaps more of this article will. Let's continue on in this article. So it continues, critical race theory reframes every discipline as one regarding race, racism, and activism. In history, which is its most obvious home, it demands that students first understand that racism is the cause of all historical problems, and then find them. In politics, philosophy, poetry, pottery, each discipline and all the others can be rewritten to show that racism was the primary driver and each are tools of oppression. Yet even in math, the concept of right answers has been deemed to have racist overtones. That's right. Even math is racist. So how do you end up making victims out of a hard science discipline 
like math. How do you make victims out of something that's objective? How do you make victims out of two plus two equals four? Well, you take objectivity and you declare it to be racist because after all, if all else fails, if you reach the end of reasonable argumentation and common sense, pull out the you are a racist card. If you don't have anything productive to add to a conversation, if you recognize that it's not going your way, just simply call whatever is opposing, driving your ideology further and further into institutions like education. <coughs> Excuse me, just go ahead, pull out the you are a racist card and declare something like math to be racist. So for instance, something that has happened recently, and I can't remember where specifically it happened, but there was a school and it's one of many doing things like this, but there's a school that recently decided to no longer teach advanced mathematics to students below 11th grade because they decided that math was racist because the minority students were having a more difficult time achieving in having achievements in mathematics. So basically what you're doing is you are signaling to the minority students in your school, <clears throat> whether you realize this or not, you're stupid, you're too dumb, to figure this out. You're not qualified on your own to figure this out. We're going to hold your hand through this, or we're going to completely take this icky, sticky, stinky, bad thing away from you. This scary, wary thing called having to learn higher math. We're going to take it out of the equation whatsoever so it doesn't hurt your little feely wheelies. And we're going to get more into this later in the article, but <clears throat> that is little more than the soft bigotry of low expectations. But let's get back to the whole math is racist thing. Let's just pretend that you embrace this woke ideology that objectivity and hard science and math is racist and that the, getting the right answer even has a racist overtone, that there is such thing as a right answer. I mean, after all, who doesn't want future architects and home builders to reject the concept of right answers in math? Don't you want somebody who designed the home that you live in to be woke when it comes to math? I mean, truly, you would want a, a home builder to reject the concept of right answers in math. Don't you think that would lead to a sturdy foundation and a good home for you and your family to live in? Don't you want to fly on a plane designed by a woke mathematician who wouldn't want their son or daughter learning that two plus two can equal whatever their precious little heart desires? Who isn't looking forward to the day when sports statistics are abolished because of their objectivity and systemic racism. I mean, when you go to a park, do you think to yourself, man, I really hope that jungle gym that my kids are about to play on was built by a woke mathematician. Isn't that what you want? No, of course not. Nobody wants this. And when you play out this ideology and when you play out this nonsense to its logical conclusions, that's what you end up with. Nobody wants somebody who thinks that the concept of right answers is racist to build things for them to do things that involve mathematics. You would not want to fly on a plane with somebody who built a plane based off of and undergirded by that ideology. But let's go ahead and continue now in the article. So it picks up by saying racism is the only answer given as to why things happen. Racism is the only thing that is deemed to have any importance in each course of study. This forces students to focus on this superficial aspect of study, noting the given oppressors and victims in each case. Instead of learning how to do math or what happened historically, they learned that those who founded the nation were not worth reading about other than to understand how evil they were. And that math, for example, is too hard for students of color to learn outside of their ancestral cultural context. 
This is an easy and lazy way to teach. <clears throat> if you don't like somebody, if you don't like something, simply demonize it and discard. Oh, I don't want to teach about this because even though this person did good things, they did something that I deem to be racist or they did something that was oppressive to this other group. So instead of attempting to balance and instead of actually teaching students what happened and instead of teaching them to think critically and opening up your classroom as a thriving and lively environment for thinking, critical thinking and debate, for embracing the ugly and nasty bits of history, no. Let's just, abs let's just get rid of it because, again, we don't want to potentially hurt anybody's feelings and we don't want to have to accidentally give credit to somebody, to a group that we consider to be an oppressor. <clears throat> Here's the thing about history. Everybody noteworthy in history, everyone, except for Jesus, has nasty bits in their history. This doesn't mean that they're void of anything true, good, or beautiful. Yes, we're there members of the founding fathers who did indeed own slaves, who wrote things like all men are created equal and then went home to their plantations with slaves on them, exposing blatant hypocrisy, yes. Does that mean that the document that they came up with, the two documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, lack something? Should just be some should just be demonized and discarded? No, those documents are phenomenal. They laid the groundwork and the foundations for the freest society in the history of the world where all people, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their background, can come in, accept the American ideology and the American work ethic and responsibilities, embrace being American and succeed. Because that document and those documents in uh, entailed and contained things that were true and that were good, that were beautiful, even though they were put together by flawed men. Let's talk about those flawed men and their flaws. And also, let's talk about the amazing good that came out of them. Why don't we just do that with all of history? That would be the better way to go. <clears throat> the less lazy and the less easy approach. And as I previously mentioned, this is little more than the soft bigotry of low expectations. And it's a point that is further made and further evidenced in the article, this idea that minorities are incapable of dealing with something that may hurt their feelings, that may cause them to think, that may cause them to have to work hard and stretch to achieve. By the way, white students, all students, have to work hard in one way or another. Some are more disadvantaged than others. Some have to overcome more than others. But everybody is capable. But when you have this soft bigotry of low expectations, you essentially tell these minority students, without saying it explicitly, the white students are smarter than you, they work harder than you, they're more capable than you are, and we're going to dumb things down, make things easier, easier, shelter things from you, and hide things from you because you're too weak to handle it. And that's, of course, utter nonsense. But that's what's being perpetuated when this ideology is pushed. All right, one more, art one more paragraph, rather, from the article that I want to <clears throat> read from. Let me bring it up here on screen. <coughs> Pardon my allergies. All right. So here's what it goes on to say. Before the emergence of the coronavirus pandemic, educators told us to keep screens out of our kids' hands. But during the pandemic, and still in many school districts, there's no other avenue to life. The schools are teaching kids virtual. That schools, rather, are teaching kids virtually does not mean that kids have the tech necessary to find success with their lessons. Remote school offers a shockingly limited amount of education. Students are bored, 
cut off from social interaction and learning nearly nothing. So this is where we get into the part of the article where they shift from critical race theory and get into the distance learning aspect. So I facilitated distance learning at the end of the school year <clears throat> last year when the coronavirus first really hit the United States. And it was far from ideal, far from ideal. It was far from ideal for the teachers, for the students. Now, to be fair, some of that had to do with the fact that we were a brick and mortar school and we were not set up to be an online school. So we had to shift and pivot mid-school year <clears throat> and do what we could do to end up finishing the school year. But with that being said, and in an interest of continued transparency, yes, some, some students do thrive and did thrive in that environment, but most do not and most did not. Some students came away from that realizing that that worked better for them, I, especially some of the boys in the class. I had a couple of boys that I, well, one boy that I taught and another one that I didn't teach, but I, I knew him. And they actually ended up continuing to do online school and both of them work now. Young men, learning trades, working hard, earning money, and finishing up their high school careers. And for some students, that really works. And for those young men in particular, they were able to get out there, get their hands dirty, work, do the kinds of things that they're going to be doing as future men, and continue their education. So for some students, the online school is a solution that I'm glad exists for them. But this is not the way most students thrive. Certainly not the way that most students in this country thrive and succeed in school and not the ones that were in my school. I can't tell you how many kids at the beginning of this school year, 2021, were so thrilled, even with COVID stuff going on uh, at the school that I worked at at the beginning of the school year, uh, certain restrictions and things that were in place, they were just so glad to be back in the classroom. And that was pretty much the unanimous consent from the teachers as well. So glad to be not in front of a screen all the time, to be able to be in person, to be talking with one another, not to, through our phones via videos and things like that, but face to face. The students aren't bored. They're getting that social interaction again. The learning is more robust. The discussions are better. They just, they're just thriving. They're just simply better off in this kind of an environment. So, of course, distance learning and critical race theory are dumbing down students. Critical race theory is dumbing down students in one way because it's effectively telling minorities that they're dumb when they're not, but it's effectively telling them that they're done and that dumb and that they need to be protected from these horrible, evil oppressors that have built into this system in the United States of America racism that permeates everything, which is nonsense and garbage. <clears throat> and then distance learning, you're forcing kids into a situation that they don't want to be in because they don't thrive and that's not the best learning environment for them. So again, I exhort you, if this is the situation that you are in, facing distance learning and critical race theory, especially if you're facing both of them, get your students out of these situations. Is it easy? No, but it is your duty and your job as a parent to take control of and direct your students, your child's education. That is not the government's job. That is a job God gave you. Embrace that role as a parent. Step up to the plate. Do whatever is necessary, whether it's homeschooling or whether it's getting them into a private school that is in-person learning and that is not teaching garbage like critical race theory, get them into these schools. Your children's brains and their education matter. This is 
such a formative time in their lives. And you as a parent, you have that God-given authority. So not only is it a responsibility that you ought to embrace, you get to embrace it. Get excited about it. Take control of your children's future and their education and give them one of the best possible ways to succeed, which is getting them out of these awful environments where they're not thriving, they're not succeeding, and they're not actually learning and getting them into an environment where ultimately they're learning to love and learn about the true, the good, and the beautiful. They're learning to they're learning how to think, not what to think, and ultimately getting them in a place where they're being formed in their character and ultimately in Christian character. They're being formed to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That should be our goal as parents for our children, to fulfill Ephesians 6.4, to bring up our, ch- our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Well, thank you all so very much for swinging by and checking out today's podcast and YouTube video uh, here in cultural commentary from a Christian who's just trying to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Speaking of enjoyment, if you are enjoying the content, if you enjoy this content, if you don't mind on podcasting platforms, giving me a five-star review and leaving a review just raving and gushing about how much you're enjoying the show. Or if you're on YouTube, if you could please consider giving it a subscribe, a like, and a share, I would appreciate that. And you have a great day.